Bibles this morning and turn to the book of John, the book of John chapter number five. <clears throat> the book of John chapter number five. I've preached this before, but I've reworked it so many times since then I don't even think it's the same thing. So... Coming off a revival, it's difficult to, to think about what to preach, and I know you guys are full like sponges, and um, <clears throat> uh, not trying to add too much more to the sponge, but rather uh, maybe help to, uh, as the sponge is slowly wrung out and back, brought back to a normal state, um, sometimes it's just as hard to come down a mountain than it is to go up one. You ever consider that? Sometimes coming down off the mountain is just as difficult. <laughs> it works a whole different set of muscles. <laughs> okay. John chapter number five. John chapter number five. Let's start in verse um, number one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk and blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water uh, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case and said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in church here this morning. Father, I ask as we open up this book and we uh, try to uh, go into this passage, Father, that you would hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would please fill me with the Holy Spirit. I pray that, Lord, you'd be with each and every person that came out here this morning. Undoubtedly, they came here to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that they wouldn't leave here hungry, Father, but they'd be feed, uh, fed by the Word of God. And so, Lord, as we take the time now, as we uh, Lord, try to yield our members, Lord, as much as we can to the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would please lead and guide us in all truth like you said you would. Father, that you would please, Lord, uh, Lord, just uh, be, with, uh, uh, be with the hearer and the speaker, Lord, now in this time. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave here just a little better than what we came. And we ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Familiar passage to those that uh, um, are, are Bible readers. And uh, this, is a, this is a somewhat controversial passage in your Bible, whether you realize it or not. You see, there's a problem uh, in, in uh, John chapter 5 that confounds the minds of scholarship. And that is simply that there's this situation where, you know, there is a pool and there's some kind of supernatural uh, transaction that's taking place amongst folks that need help. And it's being done by, as we see here in the passage, an angel. It comes down once a year and troubles the waters. And um, I've often looked at this passage and, 
and I hadn't looked into the, you know, the different commentaries and things like that to see what they have to say about it, but uh, a few times ago I decided to do just that, and it's funny how they try to reconcile this passage here. See, because it doesn't make sense that somebody would be healed of whatever they had by just dipping in this pool here. And so the, the modern scholars, they try to take it out of uh, the text altogether. They say that it shouldn't be in the Bible, and they do all they can to remove it. Um, uh, Nestle and all those guys with their Greek text, they, take it, they try to remove it all out and that kind of thing. Um, and then you have those that try to explain their way through it, which we tend to do that sometimes when we come to our Bible. We don't understand something. So with the best amount of reasoning that we can muster and, and, and that kind of, we come to the passage and we try to read into it something that makes sense. And so you'd come up with some genius idea that this pool was where they washed the entrails of the sacrifice. And so there was something that took place in this water that whenever this thing came down and did whatever it did to the water, it was the blood of the sacrifice that was in the water because this was probably the feast of Passover. And so it was obviously bloodied and that blood of the sacrifice did something miraculous for one person. Because that's all the healing juice it had. <laughs> Dare I say, I don't find any of that in the passage. <laughs> I would say that that's just somebody trying to reconcile a, a passage that to smart people doesn't make any sense. But what I, have, what I have thought about and what I think the Lord has shown me as I've read through this thing is that there are certain things in the Bible that, guess what? You don't have to understand it in its entirety. Right? Because there's some things, there's some examples in the Bible that we can relate to whether or not you understand the, uh, the, uh, the foundational principles of it or not. The fact of the matter is, is if you ask me, well, what's that, what's that angel? I have no idea. I, have no, I don't have a clue what that angel is. You know what I know? That if you were to advertise Bethesda on a television, I already know the marketing campaign. It'd be one of them corny, like old, uh, you know, uh, lawyer, like st like stingy lawyer commercials. It's got like the, it's got like the, um, you know, the text boxes, like pow and wow, you know, and come on down to Bethesda, you know, we got what you need, you know. You're sitting there on your on your uh, beanbag chair, you know, and you're and you're eating Cheetos, and you're looking out there, and they're saying, um, "Do you have issues?" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, I do." <laughs> do you need help? Well, yeah, I do need some help, actually. <laughs> like, well, hey, why don't you come on down to Bethesda? Because you know what? We got the angel coming down here soon, and they're going to be troubling the waters. And, man, people are going to be getting healed. And, and there's this big, you know, advertisement campaign. Just come on down to Bethesda, man. The place of Bethesda, the, the Bethesda itself means house of mercy. It's saying, hey, you, listen, if you messed up, you've got some mistakes in your life, come on down here. You'll find mercy here. It's a place of healing. We've seen midgets grow, you know. Some <laughs> folks the other day, they said, I had a buddy went to a healing service one time, and to this day, like 20 years ago, he says to this day, he still thinks he saw somebody's leg grow off their body. He said some guy had a little leg, and somebody hit him on the forehead, and that leg just grew back right in front of his eyes. I don't know what you saw. <laughs> right? It's a place of healing. People come and they get better here. And isn't that what we want? 
You want to go somewhere when you don't feel good, and when something's wrong, you want to go there and get better. That's why you went. And that's exactly how they advertise it. It was a place of hope. Right? If I could only get to Bethesda, I could be healed. Lives that were ridden by problems and issues could just be... There, there was a place that they, they knew that they weren't at their end of the rope because they hadn't yet been to Bethesda. They hadn't exhausted all of their resources yet, right? The people at Bethesda now, the Bible says here that there was a great multitude of them in verse 3. It's funny how Bethesda seems the walls are just packed with people. All five porches. It's like standing room only. It's funny how these places are just packed. They have every promise and they have every gimmick and they've got every advertisement and marketing campaign to attract the people with exactly what they want to hear, when they want to hear it, how they want to hear it. And you know what? There's a great multitude of them and they're flocking there. They want to go. Whether they want to go because they themselves have an issue or whether they want to go because they just want to be a witness to somebody else. They love a good comeback story. They love a good miracle. And after all, if I can go watch a miracle, that's, I guess, just as good as me getting one done myself. So let's just go and see the show. And so they, in droves, find themselves congregating around the five porches of Bethesda waiting for something to shake out, man. <laughs> But I want you to see first, and uh, what I want you to see primarily here is the need of the people. They describe them here and they say that they're impotent, they're blind, they're halt, and they're withered. Every need is different, but everyone has a need. They have, they have all kinds of stuff from all different backgrounds and all different stories and all different um, uh, uh, situations. And they find themselves there with one common thing, and that is, hey, man, we all got problems. We all got issues. And, man, we need some help. <laughs> we need some help. And you look over those mass, a congregation of people, and for whatever reason they're there, they're there. And the thing that binds them together is trouble. The things that bind them together is the inefficiencies in their life and the inadequacies of their life and the situations that they find themselves in in their lives and they're all searching for something no wonder Jesus shows up at a place like this because there's an overwhelming problem here that I see and it's not the people themselves the overwhelming problem with Bethesda is found there in verse number 3 it says in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk blind Halt, withered, look at that word, waiting. They're all waiting. They're all sitting there just kind of like with, you know, owl eyes, and they're just waiting for something to happen. They're just, they're just, they're just waiting. Nothing's going on. They're all sitting there looking at each other, and they're trying to figure out what to do, and they, they, they've been sold something, and everyone's there. There's no lack of people, and the problem is, is that they're waiting. See, what you have is you have a place that has been set up purposefully to be a place of healing and a place of hope and a place that people can come and they can get their problems solved. It's a place of mercy for people that need mercy. But the problem is, is the place is packed to the gills, but nobody's getting any help. 
couldn't help but see the relation to churches. We live in a world where they tell you we need a religious revival somehow in the world in which we live in. We need, a, we need a revival of religion. We need a revival of some kind of godliness because they see the morals scattering out the door. And so people are flocking to religion and they're flocking to different churches. And guess what? There's probably standing room only at the contemporary church this morning. I heard that the Catholic Church is doing just fine. They're not going bankrupt anytime soon. The Muslims are growing at an exponential rate, if you haven't been paying attention. And the birth rate of Christians is down significantly. And Muslims are reproducing a child rate probably three to four to one when it comes to uh, Christian households. What does that tell you? In 20 years, you're going to be more of an anomaly than you are now. But these other religions are growing. And you know what I know? I'm not just talking this morning. Listen, you know what I know? Those places are full with people that have the same kind of problems and the same kind of needs that we have here this morning. Amen. You know what the difference is? They don't really have anything to help them with. They don't have anything of substance that's actually going to take them from where they are and to get them to something that God wants them to be at. Listen, there's a lot of hype, but there's no results. Right? By their fruits, you're going to know them. And you know what? The fruits of these other things, the other, the other churches, guess what? There's, there's, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You can't name one main revival that came outside of a book, any other book than this book right here. There's not one major revival that is attributed to any other book besides this one. You say, oh, well, what happened before the King James Bible was printed? The one, it, was the, it was the English translations that were from the same text that your King James Bible comes from. That's where they came from. Where the word of a king is, there's power. And what we have is we have a place and we have a, a, a bunch of people that we find and they're waiting for something. And you know what? It just happens to be, I believe, that it might just be that they're waiting, they're looking for the wrong thing. Right? You know what? People in these churches, they're sitting there and I, you know what? I, I can't just talk about other churches because I'm not in those other churches. I can talk about our churches. I can talk about Bible-believing churches. I can talk about our church. Sometimes we find ourselves just sitting here waiting for something to get stirred up. That's what they're doing. They're literally sitting in the porches of Bethesda just waiting for something to get stirred up. They're waiting for that revival meeting to come. They're waiting for that certain thing to happen. And they're waiting for some, you know, demonstration of some spirit of God or something, right? They're waiting for some emotional response or emotional show that's going to produce a change in their life. Can I tell you this? There's no amount of emotion, there's no amount of show that's going to change your life. Nothing. I was on the phone with somebody the other day and they said, man, I know a guy, he's as straight as an arrow, he's a, he's, he, he, he's a Bible believer, he, can, he rightly divides, he's dispensational. I mean, this guy, he's straight as an arrow doctrinally. But his dad was a pastor and he, and he really had an issue with his dad. And so what he did was he started a church and he's, and he's got all the doctrine right. He's a King James guy and what he did to draw people in was he changed the music. So they got contemporary Christian music in his church but he's got the right book. And so 
How is he drawing them in? Through emotion. You say, isn't, what, what, what's the problem with good music? I don't have a problem with good music. I think music should affect your emotions. I don't think you should be an emotionless person. I think that it's important that we have songs that are sung and we have a song service. I think that that softens your heart for preaching. I think that's the Holy Spirit that comes in there and he can minister, your, minister to you through song. And guess what? It prepares you to receive the word of God with gladness. I think it should, it should be done that way. But you want to know, they say, well, if you just had a little bit more lively of a song service, then you know, maybe you, know, you could get some more people to come. Why? So everybody could sit here and just wait for the singing? So everybody can just sit and, oh, well, so-and-so singing, so-and-so singing, and is this, is it, what are they, what are they, how much singing is going to happen? I've been in churches, listen, I've been in churches where the, the singing got so good, they said, well, we just don't need to preach, we're just going to sing all morning. I've been in churches that did that. Hey, listen, singing should never get so good that the preaching goes away. The minute that happens, you've got the thing so far backwards, you can't come back from it. What are you trying to do? I was sitting in the church one time getting ready to preach a meeting, and uh, they brought their youth choir up, and, man, they were singing, and they sang, and they sang, and they sang, and they sang, and I came there with a sermon. And what I try to do is, I, I mean, I, I, I try to pick what I'm going to preach and, I, and I get, my, get my head about me, and I try to pick it and best I can and go with what I've got. But, I mean, you can't just, you know, block out the Holy Spirit if he changes gears and you got to change gears. And I'm sitting there on the front pew and I'm listening to this thing and they're singing and singing and singing and singing. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, do I have the right message? Because it was like diametrically different than what I was going to preach. And the Lord says, you stick with what I told you to preach. And you know what I found out? You know what they were doing? They were using the singing to conjure up whatever spirit that they wanted and that puts pressure on the preacher to preach what they want them to preach. So who's actually running the church? The singers are. Through emotion. Through a show. Through some kind of feeling. It's not supposed to be that way. These folks, they're, they're waiting for something to just get stirred up. They're waiting for that water to bubble. They're waiting for, whoo, man, let's go, you know. After all, we didn't really have a revival unless folks was hanging off the chandeliers and jumping out the windows and running around the church. We sure, Surely God didn't show up last week, did he? <laughs> I think if you were here last week, you could say that that's probably not the measure of whether or not God shows up. They were searching for the wrong thing in verse number 4. It says an angel went down. We just talked about that in Sunday school. Paul says, though I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. What are you doing looking for an angel? They were looking for the wrong thing. Listen, they, it's not even, uh, you, could say, you could argue the point, where, yeah, how would they have known to even look for Jesus? Okay, you're right, he's in his ministry, and uh, it's not like you and I think of him now. But guess what? They weren't even looking to the, the uh, Old Testament setup that God had set up. They weren't looking to the priest. They weren't looking to do the things that were set out in the law to do what God told them to do to get to him. They weren't even looking for that. They were looking for an angel. Show me anywhere in, in the Old Testament where God told you to look for an angel. Now, God used angels. They had, they had, uh, they had um, Abraham had an angel come down to him. There's a couple times the angel comes down and, and talks to a, a certain person. But guess what? That's not how God, that's not the system that God put in place for these people to get to him. 
And so you know what they were doing? They were looking for something other than what God set up. And you know what? I think a lot of problem with a lot of us sometimes, we put, we put whether or not God speaks or whether or not we get what we're looking for or whether or not we make a change in our life and we attribute it to some specific thing other than just Jesus Christ showing up, man. Did God talk to you or not? I mean, I've, been, I've fallen victim to that sometimes. Well, I'll just I'll wait for this certain meeting. I'll wait for a certain preacher to preach. I'll wait for a certain song to be sung. I'll wait for a certain event to happen. You know, that's what's going to make the difference in my life. If I could just, if I could just get down to the Jubilee this year, you know, I think really God, God would speak to me down there at the Jubilee. Hey, listen, I love going to the Jubilee. I ain't going to stop. <laughs> and the Lord has spoke to me at the Jubilee, Right? But it's not a specific place. Listen, they were looking for an angel to come down, and they weren't even looking for Jesus, man. I believe we should look for Jesus Christ wherever we are. I think Jesus Christ, he'll talk to you in your car. Jesus Christ, listen, he'll come, and he'll talk to you wherever you're at. He'll talk to you in a church service. It doesn't have to be a special meeting. God will just let pastor come up here and preach a regular message on a regular Sunday morning. Nothing's going on. And guess what? That sermon could change your stinking life, man. See, a lot of times we get so sensationalized that we, it's a certain thing, it's a specific thing. And one of how you know this is really the, 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 the fruit of what's going on is, is when you're looking for, just looking for things to get stirred up in that emotional response. If you're not looking for the right thing, if you're looking for some specific thing that's anything outside of just Jesus Christ talking to you, just preaching out of a King James Bible, just, just Bible teaching in Sunday school, right? It's got to be something new. It's got to be something different. It's got to be out of the norm. You know what happens? They start striving against other people. This was brought up multiple times in the, in the, in the meeting last week. The Bible tells you here, he says, whosoever then first. You ever see, see those three words like that? He says, whosoever then first. After touching the trouble, uh, troubled water, he steps down and he gets healed. You know what that means? Because of the setup that had been, because of the atmosphere that had been created there at the pool, every person in that place was in competition with everybody else. It was impossible for them to view somebody in a positive light truly because after all, it was doggy dog, man. It was, I got to get in there before you do. And so, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to nitpick you, and I'm going to tell you why you can't, and I can't, and I'm going to tell you why I'm better than you, and I'm going to talk about the people that aren't as good as me because it makes me feel better, and it lifts me up a little bit, and makes me feel more spiritual, and they're a constant competition with one another. And what you find out is you get in a situation like that and you got a bunch of people that are in a place, they're looking for help, they all need help, they say they want help, they're, they're looking for a religious experience and they have a form of godliness but they have no power and nobody's getting any help. I don't want to be in a place like that. If you've ever been in a place like that, you know what you know? It's miserable being in a place like that. It's miserable. Anybody ever have a job where, you know, I, I agree that, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to being competitive in certain things in certain aspects of life. But I've been in sales situations where, you know, the whole office is against each other. And I guess it used to work maybe, you know, some guys that built some pretty big companies doing it that way. I don't thrive in a situation like that. I don't like it. I like camaraderie. I like working together. 
I like a spirit of unity. I like a spirit of oneness. I like, uh, I like preferring one another. Right? I like getting along with folks. I don't like to always be at odds with people. Even if my personality can sometimes come off as confrontational. I don't, I don't want it to be that way. I don't want it to be that way at all. You know what I like about the Lord Jesus Christ, though, is He looks at a situation like that, and you know what happens? The Lord Jesus Christ, His desire is to get personal with individual people. That's what He wants to do. And in a crowd like this, you know what the Lord, can, the Lord, the Lord does? He goes looking, okay? He goes looking, looking verses 5 and 6. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. And when Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And you know what he does? He goes up to him and talks to him. Say, was the guy looking for him? Nope. What did Jesus do? He came up and he talked to him. He just asked him a question. Right? He just comes up to him and he says unto him, Would thou be made whole? Jesus Christ, listen... He's going to talk to individuals. But we sometimes live in a state where everything is for somebody else and it's not for us. You heard so much preaching last week. And you know the, 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 the dangerous thing that can take place sometimes after a meeting like that is you start to process it. Because it's, it's given to you at such a volume and at such a rate that as you start to process it, what ends up happening is you say, yeah, well, so-and-so and... I'm not this, and, and, and you start to attribute certain things for other people instead of taking the whole entirety of it onto yourself. And Jesus Christ, listen, when that meeting was going on last week, he wasn't talking to anybody else in here but you. He was talking to you. He came up to you. I don't know, I appreciate that. That guy wasn't looking for him. Listen, that guy knew he had a problem. He, you know what? He had been there for 38 years. Can you imagine the look on that guy's face? 38 years. I don't know where he's from, but maybe he didn't have the means. Obviously, he's living there. He has a bed there. He's living there, and he's given everything that he has to be at this place. He's supposed to get help. He has gotten zero help in 38 years. Zero help. You imagine Jesus Christ looking at him, and the Bible says he looked at him and just knew he'd been in that state for a long time. He didn't even have to, he didn't have to get any information. He didn't even have to use his, his like savior spidey senses, man. He just knew it was painted on his face. What was the problem? 38 years of nothing but. Well, you keep coming, man, and you're going to get what you're looking for. You just keep coming. You just keep money, putting money in the plate. Listen, you just need to be faithful. Hey, listen, you just need to be here. You just need to do this, and you just need to stick with it, and don't quit. It's like, okay, but I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting anything. In 38 years, and the time ticks off, and the time ticks off, and the time ticks off, and he's just like, man, this is rough. And he's given up hope. And he's just thinking, I'm just going to die in this bed. And he's half stubborn because he, he's been in it too long to quit now. Right? He says, I'll just die. He's just resolved to the fact that this is where he's going to die. You know what? I'm glad that Jesus Christ approached him. 
I bet you he, I bet you he'd stopped even trying to get close to the waters when it came time for them to be troubled. See, the first few years, he'd get down there real quick and he'd roll because his legs, you know, and everything else. And he'd roll and he'd roll and he'd drag himself and drag him, try to get as close to the, to the edge of that pool as he could. You know, but after every time, you know, somebody beat him to it or someone at the other end, he couldn't even see. Oh, someone else jumped in and they got it, you know, and everybody applauded. And he's like, yeah, well, I didn't. He stopped even trying to get close. He's probably on the outskirts, Right? kind of like half in, half out, just like, I'm here, but I'm not really here. I'm just kind of checked out. And you know what the Lord does? He beelines him. He says, I can tell you got some stuff going on. Can I talk to you for a minute? I appreciate that about the Lord. I've heard people say, well, he ain't going to talk to you if he ain't going to look for him. You think the woman at the well was looking for him? Huh? You think she was looking for him? I don't think so. Now, there's been people that looked for him, and they found him. But I'm sure thankful that uh, God and Jesus Christ, you know what he does? He comes looking for people, too. The Bible says he came to seek and to save those which were lost. You know what? You got a problem. Here's the, here's the thing. He wants to get personal. It's, it's now, the ball is now in your court to allow him to be. You see, Jesus Christ approaches him. And he says, don't you want to be made whole? And what does he require? What does it requires? You know what he does? He reveals his condition. He says, I know you're not whole. I know you got problems. You know you got problems. And so what does he do? He asks him one simple question. And it causes him to take a long look at his life. And that's where every one of us, hopefully, we're at during this meeting. I'm trying, not to, I'm trying to attach it to the meeting but not make it exclusively so if you weren't here, you weren't able to make it, that this doesn't have any application to you. So the fact of the matter is, is Jesus Christ comes to you and he says, uh, what about these things you got going on? You know what it requires you to do? It requires you to step back and look at your life and say, yeah, you're right. Not the, not the normal response, I'm fine. How you doing? Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's okay. Everything is great, brother. No problems here. And you're dying inside. And you're frustrated. And you wouldn't dare say it because after all, you're at the place you're supposed to be, right? Yeah. It would be hard to say that you're not getting any help. He reveals his condition. Jesus already knew his condition. The man needed to see it for himself. Which leads me to ask you this, how much access will you give Jesus Christ to your life? See, Jesus wants to get personal with you. He wants to get, he wants to get close to you. He'll come to, he'll find you where you're at, right? When you're watching everybody else go to the altar and you're like, ah, that's not for me. You know, so-and-so, that's probably for them. And that's a young kid's game or that's an old person's game or that's a whatever age bracket you want to put yourself in game. The fact of the matter is, is Jesus is like, how much access do I have to your life? Well, Lord, I, you know, uh, you know I, I just, I wasn't thinking about it. He's like, well, maybe we should take some time to think about it. He's trying to tell him, he says, hey, for just a minute, would you take a look at what you're lying in? 
Take a look at your bed, man. Take a look how your life is. Take a look where you thought it was supposed to be when you first got here. You, what you, how did you envision it and how is it playing out? He says, take a look at your bed. Take a look. And for a moment, the guy gets honest. The truth of the matter is, is sometimes we get comfortable. We get comfortable. We've made our bed, good or bad, and then we resolve in our own hearts that that's the bed we're going to lay in and there is no difference. There's no change in it now. Too far, no big deal. And so we just lay in the bed and 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 lay in the bed. bed. We're not looking for nothing. Jesus comes up and says, hey, sick of laying in this bed? (laughs) You go, I don't know, man. Pretty comfortable in my routine. I've got God here, and He's in my schedule, and this is when I put Him in, and I, I come to church at this time, and I do this, and and, uh, and then I have this going on, this going on, and this going on. Like we said in Sunday school, Christianity isn't something that you schedule into your calendar. Christianity is something that you live all the time. I was telling somebody the other day, listen, church isn't just something that I go to on Sunday. I, I choose to build my family around my church. Listen, I choose to build my life around the church. I choose to, to, like when I do things in my planning, in my personal life, I plan it around the church. Oh, it's because you have a title. No, I did that before I had a title. Okay? Listen, the church isn't just something that we do. It's something that we have to uh, understand that our life revolves around that thing. That's, That's where Jesus Christ talks to us. That's where he comes and gets personal with us. And sometimes we have to take a thousand step back and say... What am I laying in? How, wh- what kind of routine do I find myself in? That's why those meetings are so important. It gets you to have a different perspective about where you're at. Jesus gives him a proposition. He says, would thou be made whole? He throws it right at him. He says, hey, you want to be made whole? Or do you want to stay the way you are? That's the question. You can have, listen, you can have four days worth of preaching and challenging you and, 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 and confronting you about stuff that takes place in every one of our lives. And you know what? You can sit there and say, I think I'll just stay where I'm at. I appreciate the meeting. I appreciate the fellowship. I like the, uh, I like the you know, the, uh, uh, the, the atmosphere and that kind of thing. But it's Sunday now. He left. meeting was over on Thursday. And things are back to normal now. He gives you a proposition. He says, are you sick of where you're at? Verse 7, he realizes his condition. The impotent man answered, sir, I have no man. He recognizes his position in in his condition. And you know what he does? He, uh, He begins to say and make excuses of why he can't change. We got back from a youth camp one time, and there's back, I was up, still up in New York before I went to uh, seminary, and, and we came back from a youth camp one time and, and uh, had a young girl there, and we were talking to her, and we just got back, and she says, she says, I know, she's like, I know, I mean, it's just, it'll be good for two weeks, and then it'll go back to being the same way it was before, so I'm not even really worried about it. 
And I never forgot that. I wasn't a youth pastor or anything like that at the time. I wasn't like a preacher or anything like that. I was just another kid going to youth camp. And so I just, but that, that stuck with me that she said that. Like she went into it, realized she had just resolved to the fact that she was not going to change. And that, yeah, it was fun for two weeks, you know, because the week after camp, you know, things, some things changed and that kind of thing. But she just knew, she resolved to the fact that she, it was never going to change permanently. There was nothing that was going to be residual for any length of time. Right? And so, sometimes we get the same exact way. Sometimes we come at a meeting and we fall on an altar and we say, Lord, do this, and Lord, I'm sorry, and Lord, I want this to change, and I want this to change, and this, that, and the other. Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And that seems to be sometimes all we can pray is, Lord, help me. I'm trying, and I'm trying, and it's just, it's just always this and this and this and this, and up and down and up and down, and I just need some help. I'd like it for it to last, but I don't think it's going to last. And uh, sometimes we just resolve to it. And he gives us a proposition and we go, yeah, Lord, I appreciate it, but I kind of know how this goes. And so the man is given an opportunity. Jesus Christ then removes his excuses. Verse 8 and 9, what does he do? He comes up to him and says, all right, rise up, take your bed and walk. You're, you're healed now. I'm going to help you. But he didn't ask for the help. Yeah, but he gave it anyway. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, make any clay in the ground and spit in his eyes or <laughs> like that. He didn't do any of that. He just said, okay, you're good now. Get up. He removed every one of his excuses. He says, this, this time is different. And so at that point in time, he has the opportunity to seize it. He has it right there in his hands. In verse number nine, it says that he takes up his bed, and he starts walking. You see, folks, the Lord, he gets personal with us, and then he gives us this opportunity, this proposition. He says, you want to change? You want it to last? Okay. And then what does he do? He requires you to seize the opportunity. What does that mean? Okay. How do you seize the opportunity? Well, I went to the altar I'm glad you did that. That's the beginning. That's this, that's this initiation between you and the Lord saying, Lord, I, I, I admit I need this. But what do you do now? The meeting's over. The, the time is over. The church, we're about to be done. I'm going to wrap it up here in just a second. What do we do now? I make a decision. I don't want to be the same. I want to change. I don't want my life to be the same. He says it over and over and over and over again in this passage. Very simple. First thing he says, he says, arise. He says, get up. Quit laying down in the mess that you've made. Quit laying down in the routine that you've created. Quit laying down in the same stuff that, that constantly bogs you down and all the stuff that you repented over and all this. Get away from it. Arise. Get up out of it. Get up. You think about when Joshua lost Ai and, and all this different stuff and the guys go up there and there's problems up there and he falls down on his face and I love what the Lord says to Joshua. He's laying there on his face and he's pleading, oh Lord, oh we're going to be doomed and they're going to beat us and they're going to do this and they're going to do that and David never lost a battle and look at me, I'm, I'm going to be the worst guy ever and oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And the Lord comes up to him and you know what he says? He says, why are you on your face? Get up off your face. He says, get up. 
There's some issues you have to take care of, but you can't do it laying here down on your face. I appreciate that you prayed, but now it's time to get up and move on. Now it's time to get up and identify why you're here on your face in the first place. It's time to acknowledge, yes, but it's also time to get up and change something. Get up and change something. You know what? You have to identify the fact that, okay, maybe there's something in my routine that's not been great. Maybe, maybe you identify that your routine has been fine and that's not what needs to change. But maybe there is something that needs to change. And if there's something that needs to change, he says, arise, get up. And he says, take up thy bed. You know what he says? He says, get your stuff in order, man. All the stuff that's in your past, that, 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 that bed that you made, all the stuff that's, that's there, the stuff that you have to repent over, the stuff that you came down to the altar with, all that stuff, he says, roll it up. And I can see him in my mind's eye, man. He's just taking that bed and he's rolling up like a sleeping bag. And now it's, all, it's not all disheveled and, and, you know, blanket laying over here and all of his belongings over here and he's got all the stuff strewn out and, you know, living in all whatever he's living in and he takes that thing and he folds the blanket over, folds this one over, makes kind of like a, you know, a little uh, uh, sleeping bag and he, and he starts to roll that thing up. And he says, all right, Lord, I'm going to get this stuff in order now. Get some priorities in order. I'm not going to continue to live in the past and blame other people for why I can't. Well, there's no man to put me in the water. I'm not blaming anybody else anymore. Take some responsibility, right? Take it on the chin. Accept it and put it where it's supposed to go. Don't continue laying in it. Roll it up, pick it up, and put it in the place it's supposed to be. Because you ain't going to change it. It's your bed. But you don't have to continue to lay in it where you're laying in it. It's mobile. <laughs> it's mobile. And then you know what he says? He says, walk. And there it is. I alluded to it this morning in Sunday school. You say, man, how do I seize the opportunity that God gave me last week? You want to know what it is? You just keep walking. That's it. You walk. Every day, you walk in the Spirit, and you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what it is. You say, what is that? You got your routine? You have a good routine? You're supposed to have a good routine? If you have to tweak it, then tweak it. But you know what you do? You start walking. That's all he told him to do. He didn't even tell him where to go. He just said, get up, right? He said, arise, take up thy bed, get your stuff in order, get the thing organized, get up, and walk. Where to? Just walk. Some of you, you, had to, you got to get up every morning, and you know what you got to do? You got to go to work. You know what you got to do? You got to walk there. And like Not like walk to, the, but like walk as a Christian when you get there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you walk, and you, and you have your dealings throughout the day, and you go home, and what are you doing? You're walking. You're taking the day as it, as it comes. You're trying to do the best you can. Hey, you're walking. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm praying, keeping some tracks in my pocket because, man, I, have, I haven't had tracks in my pocket for a minute. And that last message that Dr. Peacock preached really stung me, man. And I need to, I need to really start carrying some tracks around that kind of thing. I need to start taking church a little, just a little bit more seriously. Right? 
I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus Christ did not reveal himself to this man at any point in time in this whole thing. But it was only after he arose and he got his bed and he took it up and he started walking. And you know where Jesus Christ met him? Look in the passage. It's in verse 14. Where Jesus Christ, they, they came up to him and they, and, they, and they started making fun of him and asking him a bunch of questions, just like what's going to happen to you, right? You say, Lord, I want to be different. I prayed here at this altar. I asked God to help me. I asked God to do something for me. And you know what? Then the minute you do it, you get back to work and they say, what in the world are you doing? Why are you carrying around? You can't carry that thing around here like that. What are you doing? You get all religious on us all of a sudden? Right? All of a sudden you got a new habit and your kids are the first time they're seeing you read your Bible in a while and they're like, what are you doing, Dad? You're like, I'm reading my Bible. <laughs> and stuff pops up and people try to discourage you. And we say, well, that's a part of walking. It's a part of walking. How about bearing a little bit of reproach for the name of Jesus Christ? Because after all, now you're just looking a little bit weird because your husband and your wife's looking and say, what got into you? Well, I did something at that revival last week. And I don't want it to change. I, I, I don't want it to be the same now. I want it to change. And so he's walking. And where does he walk to? It's on the Sabbath. And Jesus Christ comes to him in the temple. He comes to him in the temple. You know what? You say, how do I seize the opportunity of the revival that God gave us last week? How do I seize the opportunity of just being in church this morning? Maybe you're a visitor in here. Maybe you've never been here before. Maybe you weren't able to get to the revival last week. Let me ask you something. Have you did a look at your life lately? How's your life? How's your bed that you're sleeping in all the time? You want it to be different? Okay, you got to get up. Nothing changes unless you do something. Your salvation is set. You're saved in here this morning, praise the Lord. But your life, that's a series of decisions that you have to make. And so you get up. And you quit blaming everybody in your past and blaming your circumstances and you roll that bed up and you put it where it's supposed to go. And instead of the bed dictating where you stay, you dictate where the bed goes. Does that make sense? And then you start walking. You walk differently now. I'm not walking the same way I walked before. I'm walking differently. Jacob had to go wrestle with the, with the Lord. And what happened? It changed the way he walked for the rest of his life. And so you start walking a little bit differently. And you know what the Lord does? What is the first word in, the, in the verse 14? Afterward. You say, what is that? We got through that revival, and I felt the Lord speak to me in that revival, but man, Friday and Saturday just, just been like quiet. You notice that? Say, why is that? He's watching where you walk now. You said a bunch of stuff, and that's great, but how do you keep going? Well, are you where he's going to find you? I'm glad you're here this morning. Man, what a great time to be in church right after the revival and the sermon right after the revival meeting. <laughs> he says, I'll reveal myself to you afterwards. After what? After you get up, after you get your stuff in order, and you start walking. And you know what? When you get discouraged, he'll show up. And you know what he'll do? He'll show up where you're, when you're, where you're supposed to be. And make sure you're where you're supposed to be, and he'll show up. 
You see, it's not all the time way up in the rafters. It's the Lord just meeting you when you need it. And guess what? Sometimes he lights you a little bit of a path and he goes away and you have to walk for a while. You say, oh, you're by yourself. No, he's watching. He's just not present. Right? But he's there and he's watching. And so you walk and you walk and you walk. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? The Lord shows up. He says, how's it going, man? <laughs> how's it been? You say, man, Lord, sure good to hear from you. Sure good I've been walking with you. And then you realize, guess what? Life ain't the same anymore. In your five, six, seven, eight months, a year, two years, you say, man, I remember there was a meeting that took place and God gave me an opportunity and I, I seized it. And I didn't just let it fall on deaf ears. I, I changed some things about my life from that meeting because it was, the Lord spoke to me and I, I didn't, wasn't even thinking about it. But the Lord, he came right to me, man. And he got personal with me and I, I just allowed him to have some access and then he just put the ball in my court and you know what? I just, I seized the opportunity. I got some stuff in order and I just kept walking and you know what? You're going to need some strength and the Lord will give you some strength. But go, folks, we need to start walking in the way we're supposed to walk. You say, how do I seize the opportunity for the revival? You just keep doing what you're supposed to do every single day. Maybe you had to change something. Maybe you didn't. You know how you continue on? You know how you make the most of it? Just keep walking. Abraham did an amazing thing in the Bible. He did, right? Father of nation of Israel. Can anybody tell me what great amazing thing Abraham did? Nothing. He walked around for a while. He didn't even know where he's going. And the Lord says, I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. You're going to be the father of a great nation, and they're going to be the apple of my eye. He said, what did he do? He just started walking. There's a power in just walking, folks. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for these that are here this morning. I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, I know that there's been a lot of time spent at this altar this week. There's been a lot of preaching that has been done. And, Father, this morning, I just want to encourage those that are here to just continue walking every single day. The opportunities that you've given us, the, uh, the meeting that you gave us, Father, the, the church you've given us, Lord, my desire in, uh, in my own life is just to continue to walk every single day the way I'm supposed to walk. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to us as you see fit, Lord. Give us your presence. Give us help. And help these folks, Lord, that there be a change that lasts far past just a few days we had, Lord, but they can say there was a change that took place there. They can look back to a meeting and say, man, Lord, thank you for changing my life. Pray it help them this morning. Ms. Amy, you go ahead and play while these are praying here this morning.